0: Hello and welcome to a rock and roll rabbit hole where I will be digging through my vinyl record collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back and positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs that fall within a different set theme every episode. Choosing from any song part that gives me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It won't be a countdown, but I will leave my favorite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy a record, listen to an old favorite album, support a musician, and check out some of this amazing art that has formed the soundtrack of my life. a lot of people like to share their opinions these days, please do let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I don't ever check this email at gofuckyourself.cock and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Now, nah, seriously, if you do have any suggestions, you can hit me up at suggestions at a rock and roll rabbit hole dot com. I'd love to hear from you and check out some new music, some old music, some great YouTube interviews, anything rockin' and entertaining. I love it all. And if I like it, I'll play it and give you a shout-out on a future episode. Also, if you dig what I'm doing, feel free to tell a friend or two. You can also visit the website, www.arockandrollrabbithole.com, for Spotify playlists of each episode, past episodes, and some other golden magic. Thanks heaps. Hey guys, I hope everyone's doing good. And just before I get into this episode, I just want to give you some background. I actually recorded about 20 or so episodes of the podcast before I released episode one on January 1st, and I'm up to about episode 30 as of March 5th, 2021, but I did leave episode 10 open as I wanted to see how it was all tracking, and on re-listening back from episode 1 to 20 as I've been releasing them and re-editing and, and adding songs and stories, etc., I noticed that the bulk of the magic has been logged from the proverbial cock forest. So episode 10 is mostly about the ladies with the occasional slip down a penis pothole. I'm gonna mainly focus on great singers and songwriters who I love, but also with a quick detour down a female rhythm section rabbit hole too. Just a few quick thank yous as well. This week I want to thank Jess Wilson for being a champ. Sir Chris Dash over in San Fran. Thanks, brother. Bass McCartney, Stu Taylor. A couple of drum wankers, Little Dickie Neville and Marco Cascarino. Marco sent the podcast around to about 20 of his mates, so cheers, Marco. Someone left me an iTunes review called Right Sock as a Whole. Thanks, Righty or Holy. And D Remus, the Chili King from... Canata in Canada? Is that right, Uncle Remus?
1: Have you seen us, Uncle,
0: Uncle Remus. And Ross Heatherington for leaving a nice review too. Thanks, brother. I do still have some sticker and pick packs for the kind-hearted nuggets that do rate and review the podcast. It really does help and it just takes a few seconds. And you can hit me up on Instagram or you can email me through the website and I'll post to you anywhere in the world. Thanks again for everyone who's done that. The rest of you can go with that. Oh shit, is that mic still on? And it's hard if it hits on you know. Episode 10, The Ladies. First up, we're going to start with two monsters of the music industry. And here's Stevie Nicks talking about a masterpiece.
2: Dreams was written on one of those nights where... There wasn't anything for me to do so I went down the hall to uh, a studio that was here in the record plant that was Sly Stone studio and when I had nothing to do I could take all my stuff down there and so I would take a electric piano with me and um, you know my crocheting and my journals and my books and my art and I just kind of just stay there you know until they needed me so one day uh Sitting in Sly Stone's bed with this big black curtained bed, fab- fabulous, you know, totally. To, to, it wasn't my room, so it could be fabulous. It was somebody else's room. Um, I just went in there one afternoon and wrote "Dreams," and it was. And I knew when I wrote it that it was really special. And I was really not self-conscious or insecure about showing it to the rest of the band. I knew they were going to really like it. It's always difficult to give give your song to somebody and, and know that they're going to take it to places you can't take it because they, you know, play guitar and piano and and arrange music, you know. Um, if they do a good job, then it's great, you know. Uh if they don't, then it's not great. Then you wish you hadn't given it up. Or you wish you'd been more involved or you'd wish you'd been there more, you know, or s- something something goes wrong. Um Lindsay had a uh an amazing way of taking my songs and making them wonderful. Um, when he was uh when he was happy with me whatever stevie's music was somehow
3: i was this soulmate that just knew exactly what to do with it and that never went away it just became a little bittersweet in terms of wanting to do it um, there were times when i had the urge not to want to help her and that's a weird thing to admit but uh... These were the challenging things.
0: Released over 40 years ago, this album still sounds so good. Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. Now it's Christine McVie's turn with her great tune Everywhere by Fleetwood Mac. We have an Aussie rock diamond Who sadly passed away in 2013 Born in lovely Geelong This champ wrote some of the best tunes To come out of Australia in the 80s I'm just guessing here But I imagine that the music industry In Australia in the 80s Would have been a tough landscape For a strong personality like hers But she was a huge success Best known for their international hit I Touch Myself But I'm going to go with their debut single From 1981 Some kind of sad lyrics from Chrissy Amphlett, But a great, great song With an intro that I should have put in episode one's building intros, here's the Divinals with Boys in Town. Nugget from Geelong which is a small coastal town about an hour from Melbourne and here's Rel and Adelita from Magic Dirt talking about their song Dirty Jeans.
4: Yeah it is experimental
5: in its own way but for us mm. Dirty Jeans was absolutely punk rock. Yeah. Like It it's was the most subversive thing we could do. Yeah and, and people reacted really strongly which was like we didn't even care like as in some people reacted negatively to it like oh they've sold out they've gone pop and it's like we just didn't yeah. give a and, shit and... <laughs>
6: Yeah, and that says a lot more about them than it does about us.
4: You're an ordinary boy and that's the way I like you On a train in the corner with a mind-numbing headache Went out last night with only one light Had to let you know that you're beautiful And you make me go Even if you're taking that snowball Some more you're not in ordinary.
0: Another Aussie tune that I love, this is Sarah McLeod fronting her band The Super Jesus with Second Son.
7: To save it all Temporary
0: Another Aussie song that had a brief appearance as a background song in Episode 2's Girl Songs, this is a beautiful Melbourne song featuring one of the sweetest pop voices ever, Angie Hart. Girl by Frente. A girl is
8: the word that she
1: Streets are river. She's been
0: we have one from one of the most successful singers from a huge duo from the 80s. Another great song that I have loved forever, Here Comes the Rain Again by The Arrhythmics featuring Annie Lennox.
6: There's so much to reflect on. Uh, when is the first moment in your music career where you looked out and realized, "Oh, we're global stars now. I yes. can't turn this off."
9: Yeah. Well, I think it was the time when uh, "Sweet Dreams Are Made of This" uh, got to number one in the U.S. charts. It was almost like Dave and I had been knocking, hammering on this door, going, "We, we, we want to come in," you know. And the doors went And at that time, to be number one in the charts was, it's like having a huge spotlight thrust on you. And you're like, whoa, what's going to happen now? And I had that sense of walking down the street and people starting to do double takes and look at you and feeling like, wow, that thing of um, anonymity I had gone and was starting to go. So I had this incredible feeling of vulnerability, and then any moment now, some terrible disaster was awaiting me.
6: When you were coming up in Eurythmics, the reaction around the world was, wow, how can she dress like that? Or does that mean she's gay? Or what does that say about gender? And you, you, said, you said at the time, you weren't trying to be a gender bender. So, so what were you trying?
9: I wanted to be um, a powerful performer. And I wanted to resonate with people in a certain way. And I definitely, by the time Dave and I formed Eurythmics, I definitely had the sense of who I was and what I wanted to do. And it was in partnership with Dave, who's a man. And the sense of being equals, almost like twins on the stage. Like, we were each other's muse, if you like. It was powerful to wear a man's, I mean, I didn't always wear a man's suit. I wore all kinds of costumes. I mean, you know, that was one, way to perform that made people think and had a very, very strong, powerful image, if you like.
0: Here's another Aussie singer with one of the greatest love songs ever from a movie. Here's what the BGS Barry Gibbs said about the song.
6: Oh, it's beautiful. The best song in the film, uh, um, to me, and the best song in many years.
0: I have absolutely loved this song since I was a kid. Hopelessly Devoted to You by Olivia Newton-John. play an instrument like keys or guitar grab a chord sheet for that and have a strum through the chord structure is so good just a quick side man rabbit hole just to get some of the Gloria estrogen out of my ears here's the rival sons Jay and Scott covering the tune
1: yes not defined.
10: Since Amy Winehouse died, I've been singing it for her because I know that she loved this song. <laughs> and I was so inspired by her. And she never took it seriously, just how much how inspired I was by her. And she was such a joker and such a lovely girl. And it's a uh, it's just devastating, really. But I've been asking everyone to put if they've got a camera or a phone, if you can get it out and put the light on and shine it. Come on, I can see one. <laughs> Honestly, trust me, it looks incredible. All up there, I know you've all got phones. No one exists without a phone no more. Get your phone or camera out. All of you, can you turn the lights down a tiny bit, please, Rob, so I can start seeing who's doing it and who's not? There are chunks missing, do it. Balconies, boxes, come on. Everyone, get your phone and cameras out. I'll just stand there, I won't sing. That's it, get it out, get it out, get it out. And look behind you and look, it's a fucking sky of stars. Looks amazing. And she can see us now. She can see us from upstairs. Does this make you feel my love for Amy?
0: was obviously Adele with her version of Bob Dylan's Make You Feel My Love. And here's Ozzy Sia also chatting about the great Amy Winehouse.
11: Uh, yeah, she was playing the guitar, we were at the Chateau Marmont, and she was playing the guitar and she played us an old song of mine that was called Little Man. Yeah, And she played it on the guitar and she was like, that's one of my favourite songs, girl. And uh, and I was like this is awesome and I knew her peripherally yeah. and I was like well we should work together and she was like no no fucking way man I'm like totally intimidated by you
0: is that what oh. she said yeah. wow and I, you were probably like me I
11: was like oh that's awesome
0: thank you yeah
11: no problem then. Ah.
0: <laughs> and here's Amy Winehouse with Back to Black a song that easily could have been in episode four's Drugs viewer asking a fucking stupid question to Aretha Franklin.
10: I'm wondering if someone who's in a known for her voice has such a reputation, what do you think of the use of autotune by, by some younger singers? What
2: is autotune? I don't even know what autotune is.
10: It's a kind of way of electronically adjusting your voice so oh, it doesn't sound, doesn't sound pitchy, it uh-huh. doesn't sound um, uh, wrong, it sounds sure. like it's hitting the note right yeah. on.
2: Oh, that's ridiculous. That would be ridiculous, right? <laughs> After
10: 50 years? Please. <laughs> So Rolling in the Deep by Adele, obviously a terrific young singer, someone who's very contemporary now. Um, uh, Tell me your your thought process in saying, you know what, I'm going to tackle this song.
2: Well, let's see, Rolling in the Deep. I liked it. When I first heard it, I liked it. I saw some of Adele's promo, and a lot of young kids were on the bus. They were singing it, and they were having a really, really wild, good time. Rolling in the deep, you know, because they couldn't really sing, but they were just having such a good time. I said, you know, I like that melody, and I like that song.
0: a great song carol king wrote that won two grammy awards in 1972 one for songwriter of the year for carol and one for best pop vocal performance for james taylor both carol and james released the song in 1971 with carol king winning four grammys for a classic tapestry album just a quick you've got a friend side rabbit hole the song was written by carol as a response to a line from james taylor's great song fire and rain
5: Seen lonely times when I could not find a friend
0: Interestingly, guitarist Danny Korchmar and Joni Mitchell both appear on both versions of the song. You've Got a Friend by Carole King. When you're down
11: and troubled
0: Another quick James Taylor side rabbit hole. Here's a disturbing story from James about John Lennon's murder. On December 7th, 1980, and this is a freaky story, and I
6: don't think a lot of people know about it you encountered mark david chapman the man who assassinated uh, john lennon and yeah, to me this is one of the saddest moments in our history i think john lennon was so brilliant
0: such he a was. such a force and you only wonder if had he lived what would have you know what else would have come out of him
6: exactly you can um, only imagine uh, what what you know he was so young um, i don't know how old was john lennon when he died? 40 40 yeah. i think i mean ridiculous like elvis you know i right. mean you know what I got started at 40, you know. I I uh, imagine what he would have uh, come out with in his 50s and 60s. But, James, the freaky story is, you were living, I guess, uh, were you living in the same building as John was no, at that point? No, I lived in the next building up on uh, Central Park West, uh, a, a rental apartment on in a building called the Langham, which was at 173, I think, and, and John lived in the Dakota right next door. So between the Dakota and the Langham was 73rd Street. Right, and, and you were walking down the street. I guess and Mark David Chapman, this maniac, he approached you on the street. No, it was I was actually coming out of the subway at 72nd Street. Right. And he had been on the either on the platform or on the train with me, I can't remember. And as we were He walking, recognized you. And as we yeah, and as we were walking out, he was in a you could tell he was agitated, uh, he sort of had a, uh, he was sweating, he was... Disheveled? His, uh, yeah, he'd clearly been up for a while, he, his eyes were uh, dilated, he was really uh, a sort of, uh, I. It, it definitely creeped me out. You yeah. know, the, I got the vibe from him that that this is someone you don't you don't want to spend that much time with. And he was talking, you know, basically sort of talking uh, freak spew, we used to call it, just right. uh, babbling, yeah. rambling on about how he's going to do this and who he knew, who he knew this person and he couldn't wait to see this person and and I'm hoping to do this with that. You know, and I sort of walked up the stairs to to 70, to Central Park West and seventy second Street and I said okay. Hey man, I got to go now. Bye bye. scraped him off. Did he uh, say anything about John Lennon? Did- in in his sort of rambling babble that he gave me, he may have mentioned John that he was hoping to get something to John or something right. like that. Oish. But um, you so. know, the next the next day, next evening, uh, I was talking to to uh, Peter Asher's wife on the phone. And uh, she was saying, I think it was at the time of the Manson trials or uh, some kind of reiteration of the Manson thing. Right. Uh, and she said, man, things are wild out here. They're crazy. And I I was just sitting by an open window on the sixth floor of this building, and opposite was a sort of ventilation arch that comes through the courtyard of the, of the Dakota and um, is blocked off to about the second floor from the street level. But then there's this sort of arch that gives communication from from the interior court of of the Dakota, and I hear uh, out on the street. I hear five shots ring out, hmm. and it, it was just uh, right through your window. You hear it, and I I said uh, you know, I said I think the cops have just shot someone down on the street. You think it's crazy out there? I said, I, I just, she said, how do you know it's the cops? I said, well, it was five in a row. They emptied the gun, you know, one under the hammer and then, right. then emptied the gun. And that's, I've been told that's how it goes down. And it sounds like a 38 to me. I said, I I I think they just killed someone down on the street. She said, Wow, well, that's wild. I, I said, I got to go. And um, uh, she rung off and 20 minutes
0: later, she called me back and said, that was John Lennon, John Lennon. Yeah. And here's a few seconds of a Beatles song written by John Lennon Just to keep my record of playing a Beatles song in every episode intact <laughs> Next up is another absolute legend with her beautiful monster hit from 1974 Dolly Parton, I Will Always Love You And the song, I Will Always Love You
12: If I should stay I would hope But I know I'll think of you each step of the way.
6: a click track. Just a little beat and from a little tiny rolling rhythm box. We thought we were kind of doing a sort of takeoff on, on craft work, dance music, experimenting. Part of Glass was a nightmare
13: to record because it was an idea beyond the technology at the time.
6: My influence, once again, I think, is felt on that record with uh, my sort of homage to the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. started playing the disco dance beat from from Night Fever, the Bee Gees record, which I loved.
7: To help Clem lay down the drum tracks, Mike brought in a piece of then cutting-edge technology, a drum machine.
3: So I brought this thing in um, once we had decided that we were going to disco this song up a little. They got the click track going and they They did Clam, it was like a Meccano set. They put it (laughs) bits and pieces and so Clam did the bass drum. Kick drum and the drum machine together. All the way through the track, then the snare drum, then the hi-hat. Then we we built the whole thing up. Then we did the tom breaks, the tom-toms, all of the different tom breaks. And then we added the cymbals. And it literally took days Put the bass, and this is where I had a major run-in with uh, with uh, Nigel. He wasn't playing stiff enough. He wasn't like that was the disco lick, the octave thing. And he said, "I have to play that." And I said, "Well, you don't have to, but it would be nice if you don't mind." So, so after our run-in, he agreed to do it and suddenly the whole thing was starting to feel good. So then we added some guitars.
7: 35 years later, Debbie and Chris are reunited with the original multi-track recording.
6: That's the space this is this is probably I know what that is. that, yeah, all those weird sounds are the the Roland space echo or chorus echo. I can't remember what it it's an old box yeah, They're still out there.
3: All those like jungle noises with Chris doing his, with his Ebo, I guess. and and then Now that was the hook in the song. Frank was
13: insanely good on that song.
7: Once they had the drums and guitars in place, Jimmy and Mike then had to make sure the keyboard tracks fit precisely, too.
3: We didn't have MIDI in those days. So all of these keyboard parts that we had to do these in sections. Mike and I had to do on the one.
5: And one,
3: through the whole song. were all fighting constantly but I said no just keep going guys because we're getting there we're getting there so finally we had all the track pieces in place and we had this wonderful let's hear it now with the drums in there and we suddenly the guitar gave it the swing the drums were sort of There was a little bit of Keith Moon in there for Clem. Uh, And then all we needed was Debbie to come in and sing. And when Debbie put a voice on it,
6: she sang it in that little sweet sing-song voice. And the whole thing just came together.
0: I was lucky enough to meet Blondie drummer Clem Burke in an airport in South America and got to chat to him for over an hour, which was a real thrill. And here's Blondie with Heart of Glass. up is a song by a good buddy of mine, New Zealand-born, LA-based, cat-loving singer-songwriter Lisa Crawley. Check out the Victims tab on the Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole website for a playlist of nuggets from Lisa. And here's her song, Clear History. Fixed on a screen that
4: couldn't be saved Get my breath back Cause when it's gone It's gone And it goes in a flash I got caught up in
0: So let's take a quick side rabbit hole from our great female singers to a few rhythm section players.
10: Growing up, Tina Weymouth always wanted to be a boy. However, she didn't particularly want to be in a band. It took her boyfriend, Chris France, ages to persuade her to join Talking Heads. David Byrne made her audition three times. Nobody played the bass, so that was her job. She drove them to gigs, cut their hair, and gave them her last sandwich. However, what she describes as a sideline role quickly proved to be crucial. So tell me a bit about
13: your early meetings with the band, with Talking Heads. I mean, obviously you were in a relationship with Chris at that point. I was. It was Chris's idea to form this band. It took two years for me to enter into it.
8: Why was that?
13: I just thought that it was too difficult. You know, I just thought, I'm just going to be up against a lot of flack. For being the girl? Yes. But Chris had another idea. He thought it was going to bring attention to the group. And it did. And it worked. Tell me about your involvement with Psycho Killer. David was listening to Alice Cooper and thought, I can do something really rude. So David said, I need lyrics. And so we we brainstormed. I said, well, Hitchcock would say, I'm gonna kill you because you're rude, you're not polite. I wanna create a sense of, of, of schism where, where he, he changes personality from from being one person to being another person, I think the best way to do that is change language. So I wrote lyrics to that effect.
1: Oh, uh, uh, kiss, kiss,
13: Didn't always get the pronunciation right, but it was an, a good approximation, and, and people kind of got it. Although I noticed today that when people covered the song, they, they copy the mistakes. <laughs>
10: from Sonic Youth um, posited this idea that women are drawn to the base because it's a naturally nurturing role.
13: Oh please. I don't think it has anything to do with gender and it's one of the reasons I, I don't, I've always eschewed answering feminist questions. It's just such, it's so loaded. If you want to do something, just do it. Don't talk about it and don't criticize other women. If, if, if they want to go out, you know, and swing on a wrecking ball naked, why not? Let them do what they want. We just are smart as women because we have our balls neatly tucked inside where they're protected. And that's that. I'm you.
1: i on
0: Drummer Meg White, playing on the great White Stripes song, Icky Thump. This is a song that should have been in episode one's building intros featuring Darcy on bass, Cherub by The Smashing Pumpkins. up is another aussie band spider bait with janet english on bass and vocals with their song calypso i should just mention that drummer cram i missed in last week's name changes double episode as he was born mark anthony ma and i'm guessing that cram is mark spelt backwards genius Spiderbait calypso band Jebediah have a great female best for the song type bass player Vanessa Thornton. Here's a great bass line of hers in Jebediah's She's Like a Comet. of the aussie girls mentioned earlier vanessa from jebediah and janet from spider bait in a side rabbit hole with adelita from magic dirt i had a pass to see a concert in melbourne on friday just gone which was the 5th of march 2021 with jebediah spider bait and body jar which was shuffled to april 8th due to more COVID bullshit anyway to tie the three girls mentioned into a rabbit hole with body jar here's adelita from magic dirt singing the second verse body jars too drunk to drive
4: Don't forget right
0: song that I love, which apart from being a great song, is also a great example of musician and production restraint to allow the lyric and melody to drive an idea directly into your bolts. Total control by the motels. This next song was almost my favourite. Another Aussie singer who possibly has my favourite female voice. She can be a beast of a singer in her rock tunes, see episode 1's Building Intros, but I'm going to add this delicate song to show how Suze DiMarchi's touch is amazing in a quieter style too. Baby Animals with the stunningly beautiful Make It End.
1: The sun. say <laughs> to
0: always been a sucker for well-crafted pop melodies and songs and this lady's had a bunch but I'm gonna go with this one and yes Jess Wilson I will learn the bridge and key change one day Tina Turner what's love got to do with it, it
1: may seem to you but I'm acting confused when you're close to me if I tend to look dazed I read it
13: someplace I've got cause to... There's a name for it, but there's a phrase that
1: dips.
12: But whatever the reason, you
1: do it for.
0: great early 80s song with a great melody and one of the best leave your partner and come over to me songs ever. Joan Armatrading, Drop the Pilot. of the female artist songs before I get to my favourite, but I want to include a funny, crazy or interesting story in each episode about one of the songs or artists. And today's story is about I Will Always Love You by Dolly Parton
14: true story. I worked with a man named Porter Wagner for years. He had the number one syndicated show in country music at that time. And he gave me my first big break. And I had told him when I started, I'd I'd stay for five years because I wanted my own band. I didn't want to just be the girl singer in in somebody else's band. But as the years went by, the years kept going by. And I kept trying to go. And he didn't want me to go. And we fought a lot. We had one of those love-hate relationships. And when you work together like that, we were I don't know if we were so much alike we couldn't get along or so different that we couldn't get along. But either way, I just kept trying to go, and he was making it really hard for me. So he wouldn't listen to me, so I went home and wrote the song. I went back the next day, and I said, Porter, sit down. I've written something. I want you to hear. So I started singing it. And he started crying. He said, okay, you can go, but I'm going to produce that damn song. So I said, okay. And he did, and it became one of my best songs because there was a lot of emotion sure. there.
11: Do you remember the first time you heard Whitney Houston's version of Oh, that
14: song? I thought I was going to wreck my car. I was actually in the car. I had sent the song to, uh, to, to Hollywood because they would wanted a theme song for The Bodyguard. And Kevin Costner and his secretary they had chosen another song for the movie, and someone had covered it just before they had, it, had a chance to come out. So they'd are scrambling to get another song for the theme for the movie. So they chose my song. They asked for it. I sent it, but I hadn't heard anything back. And so I was driving home from my office in downtown Nashville back to my house, and all of a sudden I heard on the radio, I was just, if I just acapella cappella On the radio? On the radio. See, I didn't know they had done it because I'd already given permission to do it if, if they wanted to, and so I kept, it was just like a dog hearing his name or something. I thought, what is that sound? Something was ringing true, but I didn't get it because I hadn't started it that way. She did the acapella part, but then when they started into I Will Always Love You, I honestly thought my heart was gonna bust. I mean, it was the most, I have to honestly say, that was one of the most overwhelming feelings Incredible. I've ever had in my life about anything. And she did
2: such a great job on that. I have shows listening to the story. Oh.
8: To, for example, when you wrote um, I Will Always Love You and Elvis Presley was going to record it, <laughs> and suddenly you said, whoa, no. Tell me about that.
14: Well, actually, Elvis loved the song. That was when he and Priscilla were having their problems, which I met her recently. And she told me that Elvis loved that song. And he had sung that to her on the day of their divorce. He said she, he kind of leaned in and sang a little bit of I Will Always Love You. And so she told me how much that he loved that song because this was recently we were doing some business. But during that time, it's no fault. Of Elvis, you know, he loved the song, but Tom Parker was in defense of Tom Parker too. Colonel agent. Tom, his manager, you know, he made some wise decisions, evidently, so he knew what he was doing. But that was goes back to that other thing because Elvis was ready to record it. I told my friends and people that he was recording it, and they were in town to do the recording. They had invited me down to the session, and Colonel Tom Parker calls me the day before. And says, now, you do know that Elvis is recording your song, and you do know that Elvis don't record anything that he don't publish or at least get half the publishing on. I said, really?
13: Which is to say he would have the rights he to He would song. have
14: the rights, at least half, half of the, the rights to the publishing of the song. I said, I can't do that. This song's already been a hit with me, and this is in my publishing company, and obviously this is going to be one of my most important copyrights, and I can't give you half the publishing. Of course that's stuff that i'm leaving for my family and uh he said well then we can't record the song and i was just heartbroken i said well i'm really sorry but i can't do that
8: With so i pardon, didn't that took guts
14: well it didn't to me it seemed to be the thing to do I, it hurt me because i was so disappointed that i was going to have to tell my friends they was didn't record it and but i just knew that that was not right and that that was not If it had been, maybe, if I didn't have my own publishing company, had the song not already been a hit, it might have been different, but I couldn't give somebody half of a song that had already been number one and that was, you know, was evident, had already proved itself. Well, you
8: had some redemption, Whitney Houston then Well, yes,
14: (laughs) that's true. When Whitney recorded, I was like, oh, good, because now I own 100% of the publishing, 100% of the writing, and I did really well with that. But I didn't blame Ellis, and I didn't blame Colonel Tom either. It was a decision I had to make at the time, and I'm glad I did.
0: So let's take a short break and quickly recap the magic before I get to my favourite female artist song. Recapping the
1: magic
11: of afraid
0: So my favourite female artist song was this band's first UK number one and their third ever single. And it was the first UK number one single of the 80s. The song in my ears is a perfect pop single. Chrissie Hynde fronting the Pretenders with Brass in Pocket.
5: Got brass in pocket Got pedal. I am gonna use it Intention, I'm feeling mental. Gonna make you, make you, make you not. Got motion, listening to emotion I've been diving, lean in no reason. Just seems so pleasing
0: thanks so much again for listening and thanks to rob dean at side to side studios for the podcast stingers and patty cummings at finger me audio for tech and web help and as mentioned at the start of the podcast if you do think i've missed something or got something wrong you can send me an email at i can't even read english at go dot with a k at geocities forward slash poop and i'll get back to you as soon as i can now seriously hit me up on Instagram, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast, or through the website a rock and roll com, and I'll get back to you. And please do rate and review the podcast if you're digging it and share it with a friend. And then hit me up on Instagram or through the website, and I'll post you a sticker and guitar pick pack anywhere in the world. Thanks again to everyone who's already done that. I really appreciate it, and thanks for the music chats and suggestions that people have sent through. To end each podcast, I'm going to add, when I can, an example of the week's topics by a lesser-known artist. And this week is by a Melbourne act called Little Miller with some more Geelong nuggetry with singer, songwriter and all-round special human, Kayla Ashley, an incredibly soulful singer and this song's lyrics cave my head in with how good they are. I left you out of last week's Name changes episode, Kayla Swift, but I know your dirty little name-changing bullshit secret. Head over to the website and check out the Victims tab. And I have a few Little Miller songs on there too. Thanks again, guys. Little Miller, lessons. See ya.
7: To my mama, the earth, the night. She said, Girl, I know it's hard, but you know it's right. That man is a snake with a poison bite.